You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Well, good afternoon, everybody. I'm not sure, from, but from back there, y'all sounded kind of rowdy. Is this, is this the rowdy service? Sweet, I love it. Well, you heard the, did you catch the survivor music there when I walked out? Um, the last survivor that just finished, believe it or not, was the 32nd series season of Survivor. And I'm thinking some of you probably weren't even born when Survivor started. So it's been going a long time. But I don't know about you. I've wondered how would I do if I had to live through a 38 day test of very little food, no comfort, and then either trying to figure out if somebody was lying to me or trying to convince people I'm telling the truth. Not sure how I would have done. But I think I might have all the winners of all the Survivor shows beat. You know why? This last Sunday, I just survived 45 years of marriage. <laughs> kind of feel like I need some kind of an award for that, you know? <laughs> Might be my husband that needs the award. But um, you know how they have those movies where you uh, have somebody who goes back in time and they tell their younger self, they have a talk with their younger self? Um, have you ever thought about doing that? Today, I am going to tell you what I wish I could have gone back and told myself a few years ago, okay? So I want to start out by telling you this. I just got to be honest. I started out life as a card-carrying, dues-paying member of the National Organization of Women. Now, for those of you millennials, that was the first women's lib organization. And I was hardcore women's lib. I remember thinking, no man is ever going to tell me what to do. So sweet and adorable. Well, um, <laughs> I, uh, I had been a Christ follower like most of my life, and I'd gone to church. And back when I was in my 20s, there was a teaching that was kind of circulating around a lot of churches in America that said, women have to do whatever their husbands tell them to do. Now, I can remember the first time I heard this, I was in a Sunday school class, and uh, I like to think of myself as a pretty agreeable person, but when I heard the teacher say that, I could feel this flesh kind of rising here. And then I just simply stood up and I just walked right out of that room. I was like, mm, no, not going there. In fact, I hated the word submission so much that I wouldn't even say it. I called it the S word. That was my code for it. And then one day I went to a women's retreat. I was up in the mountains of North Carolina, and there was this little old lady. She had her hair back in a bun. She had her glasses down on the end of her nose. And she said, now, girls, I'd like to give you my definition for submission. I was like, oh, no. Here we go again. <laughs> Boy, was I surprised. And she had a little glasses. She goes, submission is ducking so God can hit your husband. <laughs> I was like, right on, yes. Finally heard what I like. Thank you, applause is good. <laughs> what I've learned is whether you call it selfishness or rebellion or control, demanding your own way is the world's way. And it can sabotage any family and any marriage. Um, the world's way says this, look out for number one. What's in it for me? 
I've seen a lot of that in the 30 years that I've been counseling and pastoring people. Here's some of what I've seen. I saw a dad who gave all of his time and attention to his business, building it up, while his wife and kids were dying, starving for his attention at home. And I saw a controlling mom who won every argument with her husband and kids only to lose their hearts. And I've seen a rebellious teenager literally tear her family apart because of her destructive choices. Living the world's way is a recipe for failure that will keep a family from becoming great and from changing the world. So here's what I'm wondering. What was your family like? How did your parents' junk get passed down to you? And maybe more importantly, how has pride and rebellion and control affected the family that you live in today? Let's take a look at what God has to say about who's the boss and what family roles should look like. Now, Pastor David Sadoff, the, the senior pastor of Olive City Church, says this, Humility is the answer for every relational problem. Humility is the answer. Um, humility is God's way. I'm just going to spit it out and say it. It's pretty much the opposite of the world's way. And if that's true, how does it actually play out in a real family's roles? Are women and children supposed to be ruled over by men? That's what the church I attended when I was in my 20s said. But is that what the Bible really says? Let's find out by looking at the chapter in the Bible that addresses this topic. It's in the book of Ephesians, and it lays out the basic principle for us in chapter 5, verse 21. It says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Can you say that with me? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Um, I don't know about you, but there's some people I've known in my life that I did not want to submit to because I didn't have any reverence for them. But that's not what Paul asked us to do. He said to submit to one another out of reverence or love for Christ. Now that's something I can do. I can. Um, so there's no doubt that Paul is trying to tell us what to do. Let's take a look at the word submit, just to get it right, in Greek, in the original Greek. Our English word submit is translated from the Greek word, and believe it or not, this is pronounced hupotasso. Hupotasso. Kind of make you feel like you're pretty sophisticated, if you know that. And if somebody tells you to do something, you can say, are you trying to whip some hupotasso on me? Might get you a few points, but we'll see. But the, the word actually does mean exactly what we thought. It means to subordinate, to give into, to defer to. It represents an intentional decision to give in to other people in our family. It is like Paul is saying we should all try to outgive each other. I remember seeing uh, one of those morning shows on TV where they interview people, kind of a magazine style, and they had chosen several couples that had been married 50 years or more. And they asked them, what is your secret to your long marriage, especially nowadays? And this one particular couple that they asked, both the husband and the wife said the same thing, and it was so cool. It struck me, and I've remembered it probably 20 years ago. And they said this, from the very first of our marriage, the very beginning, we have had a giving contest, and we're trying to see who can outgive the other one. 
And that is our secret because it created a totally different mood in our family. And I thought that was a really cool idea. So what Paul is wanting us to do is just exactly what it sounds like. But we need to think about the culture in which he said that. It can be shocking to us today, but it was really shocking. And that male-dominated culture. Um, life then was all about hierarchy. It was a lot uh, of what we see now in government and businesses. Whoever's at the top of the ladder rules, and everybody else is just stuck with it, whether you like it or not. While even the disciples were into this, just after Jesus warned them that he was about to humble himself and go to the cross, two of his closest disciples, James and John, asked Jesus to make sure they got the best seats in his coming kingdom. Well, when the other ten disciples heard about it, they were ticked, and there was this big old fuss. And Jesus jumped right into the middle of that with these words. You know that the rulers of this world lorded over other people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them, but not among you. Among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. I mean, just think about it. Jesus basically just hit them right between the eyes with the exact opposite of what they were arguing about. Um, he reversed the typical order of life when he said, this is what the world does. It plays by this game, but that's not what's going to happen with you. So Jesus sets a new standard, and Paul comes along in the Ephesians verse we're looking at, and he reinforces it. In this new thing called the church, there is, there's going to be zero tolerance for domination, for control, for any of that stuff. It's not okay. We also know this because Jesus himself lived a life of humility and submission to God. He became an example for us by giving up his divine privileges, humbling himself in obedience to God, and then even dying a criminal's death on a cross. It really was the most horrific way a person could have died in that time. Well, there's two really amazing facts that we need to understand from this. And the first one is that Jesus took the punishment that we deserved, and he gave us his right standing with God in exchange. Now, if somebody were to ask me, what is the gospel in a nutshell? If you could condense it, what would you say? I'd say that. It was an exchange. Jesus took our punishment and he gave us his right standing, his righteousness with God. So even though in our need to be fair, we kind of like, that's not fair, feels like we need to earn it, Jesus said, no, it's a matter of believing. So if we put our faith in what Jesus did, right at that moment, we're adopted. We're moved from over here in the world into God's family. That's it. It's simple. Well, here's the deal. Getting into God's family is pretty easy, but once we're in God's family, he does have some things, some requirements that he asks for us. And one of them is this, what we're talking about today. God now asks us to do what Jesus did. He asked all of us to live a life of submission and humility. If we do, our families won't just be different. They will be drastically different. 
and we will be positioned to impact people around us. Why? Because doing it God's way, great families can impact the world. Well, Paul has just given us the overarching principle, submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. But now he's going to give us some specific examples for wives, husbands, and for kids, okay? And his first comments are directed towards wives. Let's look at that. At Ephesians 5.22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Basically, Paul is saying here, wives have already been asked to submit, just like husbands were in the verse before. He's saying, submit to your husbands. Don't dominate, don't nag, don't manipulate. Instead of demanding your own way, we wives need to have an attitude of willingness to give in, willingness to overlook the faults of the people that we live with. I would say this, if I can just step aside for a second and make this point, this is a principle that is true the great majority of the time. I'd say 98% of the time. But there are exceptions, and we run into those exceptions. So can I say I don't believe God ever expects, expects us to live with evil, to tolerate evil. So if you're talking about severe abuse, if you're talking about multiple cheating, if you're talking about being asked to do something that's immoral or illegal, I don't think that's what the Bible is saying at all. God never tolerates evil himself, and he doesn't ask us to tolerate evil. Just wanted to get that in there, because those, those exceptions do exist. Well, next, Paul addresses husbands. Do they get to be the boss? Let's take a look. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. Just totally to the contrary of everything I'd heard, husbands are actually the ones who get the harder job in this passage. Husbands have already been told that they're supposed to submit to their wives just like all of us do to each other, right? But now Paul is going to add another layer to their role. Husbands are to be willing to die for their wives, maybe not physically, but to lay down their wills, their desires, and maybe even their hobbies for their wife and for their families. So if we take Paul at his word, both husbands and wives are to submit to each other, but husbands are also to lay down their lives for their families. Can I tell you? This was pretty refreshing to my ears. I was like, oh, nobody told me that half of it. I like that part. I mean, what wife wouldn't want to submit to a husband who's always putting her first? It'd be pretty cool, right? Wouldn't be hard at all. So Paul has now addressed wives and husbands, and now he has something to say to kids. So I'm just wondering, is there anybody under 18, teenagers, kids? Kind of wave your hands because it's dark in here. There's like three of you in the whole place. Okay, well, I'm going to talk just to you and you and you. All right? So actually, the Bible does have something to say just for you. Let's take a look at it. It says, children, 
Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise. I like this part. So that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. That's pretty cool. So kids are given the same instruction as the parents. We were all told to submit to each other. And then it says, children, obey your parents. Well, just going back to the submit to each other thing, don't know who's the firstborns in this family, but that means your firstborns don't get to beat up or boss around your younger siblings, okay? We have any firstborns in here? You have to watch out because you never know what that other sibling might get you back. Because one time my sister, who was five years older, she was always bossing me around. She didn't hit me, but she was mean. And she would make me do stuff because I was little, you know. So one time she asked me to go to the kitchen and get her a 7-Up. And I thought, okay, I'll just fix her. So I went in there and I got the biggest glass I could find, filled it up with water, dropped in some Alka-Seltzer, which bubbles just like Dr. Pepper, right? And no color. Put ice in it so it looked really good. And I took it to her and I ran really quick. Because I figured it wasn't going to be pretty, whatever happened right after that. In fact, backstage, I just texted her and say, did you ever forgive me for the time that I... <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you, you, you're not, you shouldn't be mean to your siblings. But Paul does address everybody under 18, at least in our culture, and he says, you were to obey your parents. You know, for some of you might see that and go, Ugh! and I think for teenagers, it's especially hard sometimes, but it is God's way. And if you decide that you're going to do it God's way, it'll probably mean for you going against peer pressure. You know the stuff you hear all the time. It's lame to obey your parents. Uh, hey, your parents will never know. Uh, but that's what people do when they're following their own ideas instead of God's ideas. And here's the cool thing. If you do resist temptation and you decide to obey your parents, you will get a reward. If you obey this command, you get the reward of enjoying a long life. And I, I think that's pretty cool. So how does all of this play out in real life? What would it look like in a typical family? And what might a family that chooses to do life God's way look like? I believe that a family that chooses to do life God's way will do three things. The first is for the parents. Parents you got to stop demanding and controlling. That is not God's way. Uh, whether one or both of parents try to rule the family using guilt and fear, disaster is on the way. It will not set you up in a good way. My friends Russ and Linda found this out the hard way. Although Russ was never physically abusive, he did express his anger in one way or another, almost every day to his wife, Linda, and their two kids. He was controlling. He was demanding. He was critical. Well, what I discovered later was that Russ had grown up with an abusive mother and a distant father, and he'd never really felt loved or supported in anything that he ever did. Linda, on the other hand, had been severely abused by her mother, who abandoned her when she was two. And then, no, she wasn't abused by her mother. Her mother abandoned her, but her stepmother had abused her severely. And uh, basically, she developed such low self-esteem that she thought she deserved Russ's anger. So she let it go on. It went on for 20 years. For 20 years, they lived in that kind of pattern. And then one day, Linda finally decided that she'd had enough. 
When I talked to Linda, she said, I know that the Bible says that God hates divorce and that it's a sin, but I'm going to die if I stay with Russ any longer. At that point, no matter what Russ said or did, Linda's heart was closed, and very soon this family was just shattered by divorce. Powering up with guilt or fear destroys a family that could otherwise have changed the world. It does. Well, the second thing that anyone in a family that chooses to do life God's way needs to do is to start submitting to God. Start submitting to God. Um, the Bible told, tells us to submit to each other, but I have never found anyone who's able to do that without first submitting to God. We have to get that part right. That's actually what happened to my friend Russ. He was so shocked and heartbroken from the divorce that his brokenness brought him to a place of desperation. Um, I saw him just basically fall at the feet of God where his pride was first exposed and then honestly it was dissolved by the humble attitude that he took up. And then I started seeing God's power work for him. Russ began to learn firsthand how the principle of submitting to God can change your life. Um, this is a scripture that I think Russ lived by in that time after the divorce. It comes from James 4, and it says this, God opposes the proud. It doesn't say only proud people who aren't Christ followers. God opposes the proud. We're basically setting ourselves up to have God against us when we choose to demand our own way. So God opposes the proud. But listen to the opposite side. God shows favor to the humble. He's on your side. He's working for you. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Well, Russ was broken, but in his brokenness, he found healing for the pain that he'd stuffed from child abuse and neglect. And what I saw happening over the next two to three years is Russ's anger evaporated. His attitude changed, and he truly found peace of mind and soul. It was an awesome thing to see. What Russ learned is true for husbands and wives and children of all ages. When we give up our pride and we come humbly to God, he stands ready to intervene for our good. God shows favor to the humble. Well, the third thing a family that chooses to do life God's way needs to do is to submit to each other. Submit to each other. God knows what, that, what makes a family not just survive but thrive, and he calls us to submit to each other in our family relationships because that is the key to becoming a family that can change the world. Well, an amazing thing happened when Russ and Linda put this principle to work in their broken marriage and family. Here's the rest of their story. About three years after Russ and Linda's divorce, I got a call from Linda one Saturday morning. And she said, Miriam, do you still do premarital counseling? And I thought, oh, no, Linda's found somebody. She's in a new relationship, and she's going to ask me to do premarital counseling. But actually, she had a surprise for me because the man she wanted to go through premarital counseling with was Russ. 
And I was so shocked I couldn't believe it. I didn't even know they had been dating. And um, what had happened was Linda watched and tested and watched and tested because even though Russ had truly changed, she wasn't sure if it was real. So she had to know for sure because there was no way she thought she'd ever allow him back in her heart. But Russ was a different guy. And so they were married again, and that was 26 years ago. I've got a picture of them for you. Russell, isn't that cool? They were married 20 years the first time. Now they've been married 26 years, so 46 altogether with a three-year break. But how amazing is this? Russ and Linda have been uh, used by God to influence and change many other hard hearts in the last 26 years. Their story, their testimony has affected lots of people. Their own rebellious daughter has come back to God and back to sobriety after living a life ripped apart by addiction. Russ and Linda's story continues to touch people all around their area. Maybe it's even touched you today. Great families are made up of people who get the most important stuff right. Great families have learned to humble themselves, to submit to each other before they even try to impact the world. You and I can be agents of change in our own families. We can choose to do life's God's way because doing it God's way, great families can impact the world. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we know since you made us, you know our hearts. And that means all of us sitting here right now, you know the ones of us that are struggling. Maybe they are the one that's demanded their own way and they know it. They know they've been stubborn. They know they've been prideful. God, I ask that before they leave today, your spirit would touch their hearts. And maybe, God, it's someone sitting here who's been living with someone who did demand and control and dominate. Father, you know the pain that that's caused. I ask that you would come to each one of us, wherever we're at, that you would open a door for us to walk closer to your way. God, whatever it is that's been had a grip on us, will you deal with it today? I ask that you tenderize our hearts, first towards you and then towards each other. And I ask that you take us where we need to go. We trust you and we love you, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.